Those touch tone sounds are the cue for the Straight Talk segment here on Real Presence Live. Father James Gross and Father Jason Leffer joining you from our Grand Forks studio. And we want you to join in the conversation. 877-795-0122 is our uh, phone number in order to leave your question and to speak to us on the air. If you would prefer to leave a question with our Facebook page for Real Presence Radio, you may do that as well. And so there are a number of different things we've been batting around uh, that that we could talk about. Um, One thing just to to mention from what we had said at the beginning of the uh, hour here is that it is the memorial of two early uh, church saints and martyrs, St. Fabian and St. Sebastian. One of the things that I really enjoy about the story of St. Sebastian, according to legend, after he was... um, uh, tied to a tree and shot with arrows, he was left for dead, but hadn't, it, sort of like a Monty Python, I, I'm not dead yet. Yeah, not, you know? not all dead. <laughs> and and uh, so uh, a laywoman, St. Irene, um, goes to him and, and uh, uh, assists him, and he drags himself, crawls, walks to the Emperor Diocletian's residence in order to take him to task for for his position, where he dispatches, where the emperor dispatches his uh, guards to club him to death. So it's as though there's like a twice martyrdom, you might say, in his well, story. Well, you could say, if you, if you want, he is the patron saint of athletes. And so you yes. could, well, why is he the patron saint of athletes? Well, maybe for archery, right? M- maybe for uh, incredible suffering. But h- how about what it took to... Mm-hmm. Um, go through all that suffering and crawl back, and right. for, for the goal and, and the, the fitness, objective. the fitness required for him <laughs> to have been in the military and the Roman army as a native of Milan. But you know, it's interesting in my parish here, there have been numerous boys who have taken the confirmation name of Saint Sebastian, learning that he's the patron saint of athletes because um, they're trying to become the next Wayne Gretzky. You know, with uh, the the um, uh, the popularity of hockey in our area yes. and stuff. So uh, you know, one so this. This, this time of the year is, um, so we have uh, Sebastian and Agnes coming yes. up, which, which is really cool because that, that's the, the Feast of Agnes is when the two lambs are presented to the Pope. And it, like Agnes, Agnes means lamb of God. Mm-hmm. And the wool, they're little lambs, and then they, they grow, and then they're shorn, and that wool is ma- taken and made because the pelliums for on Saint, Feast of Saints Peter and Paul when the Holy Father then gives the palliums to the new archbishops for that year. So give us a little dictionary definition for people who aren't aware of what we're talking about Very with the pallium. Yeah, yeah, just getting in the weeds of being Catholic here. So the so uh, in our, so you have different kind of rankings of bishops, I guess you'd say, where it has to do with uh, kind of the authority or who's over who. So it, um, the our listening area, a lot of our listening area, North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, we form what's called the Metropolitan, which that's the word for city, basically metropolitan. But it's how the Romans like did their governance. Like diocese means a, a place of ten cities, but we we think of a diocese as a certain geographical location with a bishop in it. So all the bishops within the diocese of North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota are under one metropolitan. And that metropolitan is the arch. Bishop of the the Archdiocese of Saint Paul, Minneapolis. It's called Arch because it's it's the it's over or above. So the Archbishop there, uh, Hebda, he is he is called the Metropolitan for because he's in the Metropolitan See. So they're they're equal in overseeing their own 
diocese, but if there's kind of a, a dispute or some... Or an ordination of a bishop, for example. Go, for example, within this land geographical area, he has kind of the ranking of first, or he's the one you would consult before you'd consult the Holy Father. <clears throat> so through, across the year, metropolitan sees come open. Like, m- m- I don't know of one right now, but say if the archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis needed an archbishop, and the Holy Father appointed a, a, a new archbishop there. So on the feast of Saints Peter and Paul each year, they traditionally they, they go to Rome, the Holy Father meets them, and they're giving this liturgical garment, uh, it's called the pallium, and it's, it, it's like a yoke. It's like the yoke of Christ goes over them, and it's wool strips. And, um, and if you look, there's five, there's five um, spikes in, in this garment that goes over. Um, the yoke-looking garment, and that represents the wounds of Christ. And it's, it's um, a way of reminding them that they, um, they're not to have power and authority. It isn't so much about power and authority in this world as it is to, for them to sacrifice themselves like Christ for, for the sake of the good of the church. But on the Feast of St. Agnes, each, each year, which her, her name means lamb, two little lambs are presented to the Holy Father who then gives them to these, these sisters who keep the lambs and then the wool is taken and from their wool the palliums are made each year. The reason this is significant to me is one of the pilgrimages I made to Rome was during this time of the year and I was able to be at the, at the altar of St. Sebastian on his feast day celebrate mass, at the altar of St. Agnes on her feast day celebrate mass, and be present at the Holy Father's audience when the lambs were presented. And it's just, it's one of those things you never forget. Like as a Catholic, you see these kind of things and it just, it just leaves an emotional and psychological impression uh, <coughs> upon you. And it gets you in touch with just how sacramental we are as Catholics. You know, in these, these little things you, you, you take, you can touch, you can see, you can smell, you can taste, you know, just that whole sacramental life, how grace is communicated through these signs and symbols. Very good, yes. So St. Sebastian um, and St. Fabian are the uh, memorials we're celebrating here uh, today and tomorrow, St. Agnes. Next week, we have the, uh, we have the feast of the uh, conversion of St. Paul. One of the old liturgical books had a famous typo in its index where it said Conversation of St. Paul the Apostle. <laughs> and I think he had many a conversation, but it's his conversion that we celebrate next week, Tuesday, I believe it is. 877-795-0122 is our number. Very, very good. The, uh, do you know anything about St. Fabian, by the way? Um, a pope, I believe, in the mid-3rd century or maybe earlier part of the third century. I don't think he was a companion of Se- Sebastian. I think they both just yep. land on the same day. Yep, yep. So Very I'm, good. I'm, I don't know much about St. Fabian myself, so I guess I'll need to do some homework on him. Yeah, so. I, I guess there was some sort of heartthrob singing idol in the 50s named Fabian, <laughs> so uh, I'd have to look that up. I think a lot of people uh, may, might recognize that name from, from that as well. Um, well, one thing that we were talking about here, and uh, we are waiting to hear from you, 877-795-0122, in our diocese anyway, there are meetings that are being conducted on the local level in accord with the um, upcoming Worldwide Synod on Synodality. And uh, this was kicked off last fall, you might say, and now it's on the local church level where dioceses are asking for input on various questions about how the church can journey together and not just kind of take up a position of 
dictating from the top down, but of a more organic process, kind of grassroots, you know, from the bottom up in terms of nourishing and uh, guiding the, the, the direction of the church. One of the concerns that uh, the Holy Father has is that uh, we make an effort to try to reach those who may see themselves on the margins, um, you know, in the midst of this process. Practically speaking, the one difficulty with that is that when we do have a parish meeting like this, typically the people who are most plugged into everything are the ones who are going to be coming to that. So it kind of brings up another question of how to, you know, enact really the spirit of what uh, uh, the Holy Father is asking of us. Yes, yeah, so I, I think it is worth spending some time talking about this because there is a lot of confusion, just even in the title Synod on Synodality. You know, like, wh what, what? I mean, first of all, even hearing the word Synod, I, so I think the most important important thing to start with is this. This is this is coming out of the heart of our Holy Father Pope Francis. It's it's a it's a deep longing desire on his part. And I I think like thinking the most positive of it he uh, a couple of weeks ago he made this statement that he it's he says my true desire and longing is is that the church will become more missionary that it becomes missionary at the core of its of its existence and and reality but okay so let's just take the word synod it's important to take that word first of all okay synod literally means a, a, a gathering of people who are discussing um, question topic concern or problem and they're they're discussing with the intention of coming up with some kind of a resolution or a possible solution to the the topic at hand so and it's not meaning to intervene or to uh you know upset the apple cart with regard to existing church law or no no, no. Like so, that. so the, yeah i mean this word actually has a history in the church but anyway but the, the, the idea of synod is, is different than say like parliament or king or this kind of thing it, it, it's actually a it means a, a a gathering kind of at the 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 lowest level of whatever body that you're dealing with that it's you know kind of like you use the word organic or from the bottom up as i had uh, one priest was was explaining to me that you know he, he was saying um look this this isn't going to go away this is just the beginning and it's, and it's really coming from the holy father's heart and and it really is he's looking at how um, kind of a new model of governance for the church is really what he's exploring here. And so, there, you know, there's a number of levels to this, Father Gross. Like, um, so you, you have the universal level, you have the kind of the, the bishop level, you have the diocesan level, but then you have the local level, you at very local level, where your individual parish, my three parishes. Mm -hmm. And um, so oftentimes we at this little level doesn't really feel like we have a voice in the church or that would kind of really matter that kind of a thing now as, as the holy father sent this out he's asked each bishop and each and every diocese to have contact each parish in every diocese that each parish would have a gathering coming coming together and so this can be kind of overwhelming especially like in a, in a way it's kind of ironic it's from the top down it's coming to us to do something on an organic level you know so it's mm -hmm. so the to start the process is artificial but it doesn't mean it's not worth starting the process to get it going. Mm -hmm. So then we do, we face into this very thing that you brought up, which is, okay, if this is directed to those who are on the margins, well, how do you have a meeting with those on the margins if you're not communicating with those who are on the margins? And so that, that's kind of a starting point for like, so whoever it is is gonna show up. So um, I'd like in a minute, if you could share your process, what you're doing, mm -hmm. uh, ours, ours is going to begin next Tuesday. We have a gathering for our three parishes and, you know, I've been 
been pushing this and encouraging people to come. And I, I think on people's part, they're still there's confusion. They're not sure what. And yeah. so I've, I've stressed. And, and frankly, there has been some on my part personally, my, too. Me as well. We've yeah. worked on our deanery level. We've worked like we've had three meetings on this just to try to figure out what it is that's expected of us. Or again, yeah. trying to get to a place where we think the, the most positive of it, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, the, so but I truly want to take advantage of this in the sense of uh, I don't know what the big picture, what it's, that's all about. That's that's beyond me. But on the local level. I really do want some beautiful thing to happen on the local level where those of us who do show maybe only two people show up. I don't know. I can't guarantee anybody, you know, but whoever shows up that we ourselves would, as the Holy Father said, invoke the Holy Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit to come and, and, and see what bubbles up. And, and it isn't just for, yeah, for our local churches, but it's, it's also for a, a, a bigger understanding of what it means mm -hmm. to be church. And we'll just give the number here for our Straight Talk segment again, 877-795-0122. We can also receive questions on our Facebook page at Real Presence Radio. So we had a, um, a local meeting uh, earlier this week, and what I decided to do, for example, and this is something anybody can research out, the Vatican has set up a special webpage, synod.va, and there is an English-speaking presentation. So I kind of went through that with most of those slides, they talk about various themes that they want to discuss and, you know, the whole process of things. And then what I decided to do is to work into that a little kind of a companion PowerPoint presentation that talked about uh, some of the nuts and bolts things, you know, happening in our parish, you know, a couple of main dis major decisions I see that we're needing to make. Um, and uh, I also wanted to talk about this dynamic, which I've been hearing a lot more about, you know, the, about the, the two paradigms, a maintenance model versus a mission model of a parish that on one hand, you have to have a responsible finance council. You have to pay the bills. You have to make sure things get fixed when they break down, that sort of thing. But if uh, a parish community becomes too insular and is content only looking at those issues, there's a whole other dimension of Catholic life, you might say, that is not being interfaced, you might say. Like, man, that, that's such a powerful <coughs> point because, like, I'll just use myself as an example. I have three rural parishes. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of buildings and cemeteries involved with these three rural parishes, and there's not a lot of people. You know, so when you think about mission or missionary, you think, well, where are the people? How do we reach out to the people? So in, in my pastor, for example, there's a heavy emphasis on keeping these buildings going. And you, you can feel at different points, like, you know, am I a caretaker of buildings or of souls? And the answer is yes. You know, yes, right. it is. And then, yeah, so you then, can't just abandon the former to okay, do Okay, so then I was, because I, I really took this to the Holy Spirit, like, okay, missionary in my situation, what does it look like in my particular situation? Because mm -hmm. who are the people? So I, I've, I've already started identifying, well, this group of people, this one, the, the, and, and here, here's the, the number one group of people that just keeps coming up in prayer, and it'll be interesting to see how it does for the people who show up, but um, is the children of my adult parishioners. So a lot of mine are older generations, say right. 65 and above, mm -hmm. or say 75 and above. And unanimously down the line, every one of them expresses the same heartache and break to me, which is, Father, I, I raised my family to be Catholic. How come my adult children are not practicing the faith and their grandchildren, some of them aren't even baptized or what have you, or the great-grandchildren, that kind of a thing. Right. And there, it's this constant thing like, 
what can be what can be done how how do we draw them back how do are the and i thought boy i mean there there's your sixty four thousand dollar question yeah. if, mm-hmm. if somebody has an insight in this or if the holy spirit would speak right. how i mean there's a whole talk about being on the fringe mm-hmm. there's a whole group of people who came from the church who yeah aren't relating to the church. Right. You know, in rural North Dakota, so many of these communities have, let's say, um, a family where the mom and dad are in their 60s or 70s, and there might be a bachelor son who's around, he's at home, maybe not living with them, but living in town or whatever, but has been so disengaged from what the parish is doing, what the church is about, that you know, it could take a long time or in com- a completely different context but before a priest really has any sort of, you know, relatability with and, them. You know, and as we, you, you brought up too about how, like, you and I as pastors responsible for communicating this is we've been going through these documents and looking, trying to make sense out of this, whatever. Here's something that has struck me very deeply too, like, the Holy Father in his heart, he really wants to get to the people on the fringes and, and all that. So in there, he's emphasizing, you know, consult this group of people and this group and this group and this group. Now, here, here was something that struck me was like, but nowhere in there does it say consult the people of faith. Now, I think he's assuming that we're doing that. But the reason I bring that up is because I, I, I realized it, it does no good to go do all this if you first don't minister to the people of faith. Because it's going to be from the people of faith. If we're going to become missionary, it's got to come from their heart. Because that's our main resource to the people of faith. Uh, wake up the Holy Spirit, inspire. Because I also thought about this, you know, if we reach out, here's an example, the newspaper, uh, just last week I saw this article, uh, one of the most gorgeous older churches in St. Louis, Catholic churches, beautiful, beautiful, they've turned it over, it's a skate park. They, they, they said, we're going to reach out to the youth, they turned it into a skate park, and you go in there, there's pentagrams on the walls now in the skate park, and I mean, I, I was just, it, it crushed me, you know? So here's an example, I mean, can you, if we reach out to, say, the, those who seem disenfranchised, those on the fringes, like, they're not going to naturally have a, a desire for the church or the teachings of the church or Christ because they haven't been evangelized. So, so if we consult them and say, well, let's say, for example, their main concern is LGBTQ. That was one thing that came up I saw in a survey in a big archdiocese. Okay, and that's true. I'm not going to question that. But if that's our starting point and we don't have a common relationship with, with Christ or the teachings, this kind of thing, and that's when I realized, okay, we, we can't just jump in and ask the fringe groups to define for us how to be church or because they, they don't care, they don't have a natural affinity for it so we really need to work with those who have faith the faith filled catholics the faithful christians and inspire to say now how do we make this connection how do we go out how do we reach the fringes how do we start a dialogue a conversation this kind of thing so it can't if we do it in reverse it's the, the results are going and it's going to fall apart Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not going to be anything. Right. Relationship is based on common need. And if the people on the fringes don't see a need for the church, or they don't see a need for Christ or the sacraments, then we're kind of wasting our breath. And what had the church done in previous epochs, previous centuries, in order to, you know, in, in order to expand that way and to in, in, engage in a meaningful way, you know? So it's a matter of uh, rekindling the the activity of the Holy Spirit among her faithful to to be able to make that happen. I also think of that. Um, stage in church history with how mendicant religious orders really began to take off, your Dominicans and Franciscans, how there was a whole different mendicant
mentality there where, and with all of the graces that come from the stability of like, uh, you know, either um, Benedictine monasticism or some of the Eastern where it's concentrated on a place and, and that sort of thing, the, the, the revolutionary aspect of what Francis of Assisi and Dominic did and numerous others like them in their time was to say, well, let's take on the... Um, the, the lifestyle of the apostles. Uh, let's take on the lifestyle of those first disciples. So, yeah, we may have a home base, but in our nature, what we're doing is we're going out to wherever people are. We're giving what we can. We're inviting them to give of what they have for the sake of the poorest of the poor, things like that. The, the analogy that's often used to describe what you or to, to demonstrate what you're describing is mm -hmm. they talk about the the ship and the speedboat and how both of them are absolutely necessary to have a healthy church so you know if you think about a big ship if you want to move that ship or it's it takes a lot of time a lot of space to to get that yeah. huge ship moving in a different direction this kind of thing where yeah. so so the disadvantage is you can't make quick turns you can't make quick decisions you can't make mm -hmm. but the advantage is when the huge storm comes that ship is stable and it's secure and you yeah. have a safety. The speedboat, the advantage of the speedboat is it, it can go any place quickly, rapidly, make fast turns, fast, it can appeal, it can mm -hmm. be fun, it can be awesome, it can be exciting, and, and you're going to communicate well with a speedboat, but as soon as that storm comes, speedboat needs a safe harbor, it's going to mm -hmm. be smashed If the all the Navy has is the aircraft carrier, they're limited in their well, fleet. So, so what you're saying is, because uh, <coughs> that thought was hitting me too, is like, I mean, is, the, is this a time where new speedboats are going to show up? Is this a time where the new mendicant orders, new... Because need, again, causes relationship. And if we have this relationship for the peripheries, I would think that there's going to be some, whether it's traditional religious or looking things, or there's going to be some kind of form of the Holy Spirit inspiring people in the world to begin communicating or loving or caring for those who are on the fringes mm -hmm. or from mm -hmm. the fringes themselves. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard, Father Gross, now this is just totally off, but sure. not off, but it's related, but I've been hearing all these stories. Pe people have been sharing with me that apparently across the world, like there, there's Muslims, just average Muslim people out there that like Jesus has been appearing to them or talking. It's like, I mean, suddenly people are telling me this from all different directions. Like, all of a sudden, there's, like, Muslims all over the world who are encountering this Jesus that they've never heard of, don't know who he is, and they're actually converting to the Christian faith. So, I thought that was, like, the craziest thing. So, I looked it up online one day, and sure enough, there's, like, these hundreds of stories. And I, anyway, I, I bring that up with this idea, like, um, the Holy Spirit's <coughs> alive and moving, and, and God... God does not abandon us. Like the Flannery O'Connor stuff we were talking about in the beginning where the, the worst possible thing, she reveals that God's there in the midst of it. And I think God is in the fringes. He is with the, the people who are out there. And I, I believe that he's going to, whether it's through we, people of faith who go out, but I believe he's percolating there. I believe yeah. he's there, and it and it's just like calling it forth or giving it permission or mm -hmm. just cooperating. With you it. know, we might want to think about how generations back, however long ago it was, when the first grosses or leffers, you exactly. know, tossed in their, you know, threw threw their hat in the ring, so to speak, in order to say, yes, I will be baptized, I will live my life as a Christian. You know, we may want to romanticize that, thinking, well, there was fertile ground, and you know, the breakthrough was made. Well. 
and it's not so different back then to what we're facing now in terms of what uh, the Holy Spirit is trying to equip the church to do. And I know, so like I've been challenged by some of my brother priests because initially when I heard this, I had a really kind of a, just, just, I'll say a negative attitude towards it because it seemed like what I was hearing was somehow the model of the church, which is hierarchical by its nature, is bad. And we need a more horizontal governance, this kind of thing. And one, one priest even told me, he said, look, that's where this is going, to a more horizontal thing. And then I had to work it through spiritually before the Lord. I said, well, Lord, you never asked me if you want, if to, whether it's good to have a, a vertical church or a hierarchical church. Um, and so you never asked me if you want more horizontal. It's, it's your business, Lord, if you want more kind of a horizontal type thing. But I, so I, I think a, an example to this week to see where what the Pope is up to or what, what he's doing, and again, putting a positive spin on it, he, you know, traditionally vocations are hierarchical. You have these stages of vocations. Mm -hmm. But he, and, and they've, they've gone from calling it orders to ministries, or, but he, this week is he's instituting the new order of catechists, uh. which is an interesting thing because he, in there, he's saying, "No, these are not. These are not your religious. They're not. Your, they're not even your your people who you would, you and I would assume. Oh, this person, he knows the faith. We'll put him in the order of catechists. If you look at what the Pope is doing there, again, it's to reach out to the fringes to draw. Is it like special agents? Or <laughs> yeah, kind of. Kind of a, it's a little different. Like because I went in because it, it was very specific who would fit and who wouldn't. And the ones I'd automatically think of who should be in there, they're mm -hmm. saying, no, 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 no. Those people already have their their place in the church." This, this, it's like a calling forth of, of those to come in yeah. to be evangelized and catechized kind mm -hmm. of thing. So I guess one, the last word that I would give uh, on this is that um, if we think back about what the church did in the 16th century with the Counter-Reformation, <coughs> excuse me, um, there are certain abuses that had to be addressed and rooted out in the church, but there were things that were not negotiable with regard to the understanding of the, the necessity of the ministerial priesthood or um, the, the, um, the College of Bishops with the, the Bishop of Rome as the head and you know, various things like that. So how can we keep all of these things together to assure people that what is indispensable will remain, whereas the things that might be roadblocks that might be hindering people from, you know, uh, committing themselves more to Christ are things that we're honest about. And I think it comes down to this, you know, if we think of ourselves as baptized Christians, everybody who's a baptized Christian is like, are you bearing the responsibility for your baptism? Are you, are you becoming a light in the darkness? Are you the, the, the salt of the earth? Is, is, do you value your baptism that the Holy Spirit actually wants to shine forth through you? And I think all of us universally, if we started valuing our baptism and we actually gave the Holy Spirit permission, the Holy Spirit would move in right. dramatic fashion. Yep. Well, as we are uh, wrapping up this first hour, we'll be looking ahead to another hour of conversations. We'll be talking about the local impact of Catholic schools, and we'll be visiting with uh, the B Bishop of the Diocese of Winona, Rochester. You've not seen nothing like the mighty Quinn, Bishop John Quinn, joining us. Uh, that's on the other side of the break. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Mm -hmm. 